Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we will be talking to Monsignor Charles Mangan about the Immaculate Conception, which is coming up as you hear this tomorrow. Yes? No, two days. Sorry. Yeah, no. Tuesday, the 8th of yes. December. So we're going straight to our expert, uh, resident expert on Mary. At least I can say Yeah, he is, for sure. So before we get to Dr. Bergwald and Biblical Bites, if you watch us on video and you like to watch so, the so Catholic should they, wait, Views. Should they watch this? Yes, so? you should. Okay. And you, you listen, you watch Catholic Views after this, you will get to see a shadowy figure cross the camera. That's Bill. The the person who we only ever hear about <laughs> or whose hands yeah. maybe wave. Yes, actually. he has a little bit of a, I don't know. Cameo? He loses his mind for a moment. I lost, I lost my way. <laughs> he lost <Yeah>. his way. <laughs> he's wandering so, through the wilderness is, or the camera uh, He's frame. a bit like Sasquatch, a blurry figure in front of the camera. Wow. So, All right. Dr. Bergwald. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. 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 Yeah. What do you have for us today? What Sunday is today? Uh, let me think. Okay, we were just talking about this. It is the 6th of December Sunday. What Sunday is today? Not what date is today. Second Sunday of Advent. Nicely done, Bill oh, yeah. Seely. Thank you thinking, very much. AKA Sasquatch, apparently. <laughs> That's a nice, by the way, I want to compliment you during Advent. It's a nice red. You should wear that more often. I do wear red quite a bit. Do you? Yeah. Right. I bet we'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to take that at this point. <laughs> There's a, Renee and I recorded some episodes of Ignition, and she's like, I'm wearing the same outfit. I'm, well, and I'm so, mixing stuff up. It's the second Sunday of Advent. Thank you, Bill. Um, Renee, do you remember from when we recorded um, last week's episode of Ignition, we talked about the first Sunday of Advent has its th- as its theme, the second coming of Jesus, his return at the end of time. Right. But the second and third weeks of Advent – the gospel uh, has has a common theme. Do you remember what that is by chance? I do not. John the Baptist. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Why didn't you just say that? Everybody knows that. <laughs> so John the Baptist is the theme of, of the second and third Sundays of Advent gospel reading. Okay. So this year we are reading from uh, this Sunday from Mark, and, and I'm not going to read the whole gospel reading. But uh, it's actually the very beginning of Mark's gospel, and uh, John shows up pretty quickly. So I will start from the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice one of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, making, make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared, da 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 da, da. The first thing I want to point out, um, Mark's gospel, no baby, no magi, no, no. Yep. no major. We just go right to the action. Mm-hmm. Like we, John, John starts off the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boom, we're going to public ministry, yep. which begins with John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. So there's a quote here from Isaiah. Uh, and then Mark continues, John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So 
John the Baptist. When you think of John the Baptist, when you hear um, Mark, the beginning of Mark's gospel read, what comes to your ma- your imagination? Uh, a wild man. A wild <laughs> man, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the I don't the late the late seventies miniseries Jesus mm-hmm. of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Um, the actor who portrayed did a great job because there are times when John's doing his thing and you can literally see spit flying as, as the actors. <laughs> he really he really. Uh, uh, he got into the role. He got into the role. He got into the character. <laughs> a wild man. So what the heck is going on with camel's hair and a leather belt? Uh, Very fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> He's on the catwalk. <laughs> um, I, I assume that he just really wanted to be as lowly as possible. But it's also, yes, simple. Simple. Very simple, um, an austere, uh, mm-hmm. penitential lifestyle, which is also which is also uh, emblematic of, reflective of the old te- the Old Testament prophet tradition. Oh, okay. John is the last. I didn't know that. John is the last of the prophets. Right. He is the, he's the final and greatest prophet. He is the bridge from the old covenant to the new covenant, mm-hmm. from the Old Testament to Jesus. So he. Um, he, he's in his even in his clothing. He's reflecting figures like Elijah, for instance. Okay. Speaking of Elijah, where was John? Why is John called John the Baptist? Because he baptized at the Jordan River. Right, Jordan River. When you think of Jordan the River, and you know a little bit of scripture, mm-hmm. enough to be dangerous, I think. Yes. What do you think of when you think of Jordan River in terms of the Bible in general, especially okay, especially Old Testament? Well, I. Uh... Well, now I was going to say Moses, but that's not right. That's the Red Sea, isn't it? Well, oh, the parting. Yes, but they came to the Jordan when they got to the promised land, yes, right? Yes, So okay. they actually, they had gone around uh, into modern-day Jordan, um, and they crossed into the promised land from the east across the Jordan River. Okay, yeah. And actually there was, the Jordan River stops. Like that's part of, it is oh. It is a reminder actually of the, the original Exodus. Okay. Okay. So there's all sorts of other details, but the Jordan River makes the reader and the people who were there at the time think of the Exodus. When God saves his people, the Jordan River makes people think of people like Elijah because that's where Elijah was taken up. Okay. In the chariot of fire. Okay. Um, it's in, it, the Jordan River where Naaman the Syrian is healed. So John is baptizing in the Jordan River, dressed like a prophet. People are thinking amazing things are coming. It's going to be awesome. Amen. Thanks. You bet. All right. Today in the studio, well, I'm the only one in the studio. We have with us Monsignor Charles Mangan. I forget. He's up there on the screen, not behind me. <laughs> He's on both. <laughs> um, Monsignor Mangan is the parochial vicar at St. Mary of Mercy in Alexandria. St. Stephen in Bridgewater, and St. Martin in Emory. And he is also the chaplain to Mary of Mercy and St. Joseph Monasteries. That is a lot of things, Monsignor Mangan. Yesterday, it keeps us going. <laughs> we pray for strength. Every day we pray for strength. Yes, yes. You're traveling around a lot, aren't you? <laughs> yes, a lot of miles on the car. Not a, a big distances, but um, many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you enjoying it so far there? Thank God, yes. Good. Many blessings. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it. So today we're going to talk about the Immaculate Conception, which um, we're recording this a little early, but as you hear this, it will be uh, tomorrow, December 8th. So um, we're going to talk about uh, the Immaculate Conception a little bit and get some uh, insight from our, I call him our resident expert on Mary. I don't know if he would admit to that, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> I think he is. So, uh, Monsignor, would you start with um, what exactly is the Immaculate Conception? What are we celebrating or or uh, honoring that day? Yes, Renee. Well, the Immaculate Conception is the title of a dogma of the church. Now, a dogma is a doctrine or teaching of the church that is taught at a very high level of authority. Okay. In the case of the Immaculate Conception, this dogma was defined by Blessed Pope Pius IX in 1854. Okay. So what he wanted to do was to get across the importance of what this teaching is, and therefore he defined the teaching as a dogma, meaning once again, that is taught at a very high level of authority in the church. Now, when we use this word or phrase, better to say, immaculate conception, we're speaking about how our blessed lady was conceived in the womb of her mother. Mm -hmm. So by immaculate, the word immaculate, it means pure and without blemish, without stain. Conception, of course, is the act of bringing forth a new life into the world. Right. So by the Immaculate Conception, we mean that our Blessed Mother was conceived in her mother's womb without stain. And by stain, Renee, we're talking here about original sin. Right. Original sin is the first stain, the first sin. And original sin was brought into our universe, our condition, so to speak, by our parents, Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. So our Blessed Mother uh, has been sometimes called our nature's solitary boast, meaning oh. that she is the human person who has experienced this great closeness to God by not having original sin, never having had original sin. So we say she was conceived in her mother's womb uh, without original sin, which is something that the rest of us had when we were conceived. Right. And I think sometimes there, at least in the past, and, and maybe even some people have it now, there's a, sometimes a confusion about um, that this has to do with Jesus's conception or that Mary was miraculously conceived without uh, with by the Holy Spirit or something like that, which it isn't. Yes. When it comes to Jesus, we would say it's true that he did not have original sin right. because he is God. But when we talk about the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mother Mary, we're especially speaking of the fact that it was done without a father. Right. So our Blessed Lady conceived the Lord at the Annunciation uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about our Blessed Mother's conception, <clears throat> the Church has told us that this conception happened in the usual way by a loving embrace of her parents. Uh, but the difference was, is that Mary was conceived without original sin, without the stain of our first parents, Adam and Eve. So you're right. Sometimes this expression, immaculate conception, uh, seems to be a confusing point mm -hmm. for many of the faithful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so now that we have, we know what it, what it is, uh, why is it important that Mary was conceived without sin? Why did that matter? Why did we need that? This is a very complex question, I suppose, <laughs> in one way, because we're trying to determine just what God's intention was. But I think you would look over the last 2,000 years since the birth of Christ, 
And many have tried to explain this by saying that God wanted to have the most fitting mother he could for his son, Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the father wanted Jesus to come into our world and to have a worthy mother, a mother who was very close to him, a mother who was incredibly holy. So therefore, God wanted to have Mary be so totally other, just as his son Jesus is so totally other. Mm -hmm. This, I think, is why it matters. And also, I might say here, Renee, is that Mary and you and I share the same human nature. Mary is completely human. Uh, she is not divine as Jesus is divine. Right. Now, we say Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And Jesus is one divine person with a human nature and a divine nature. Our Blessed Mother is a human person, as we are, with a human nature. So, with the Immaculate Conception, I think also God was really saying to us, look at what you can achieve by following my grace as my daughter Mary did. Mm -hmm. I think really the Immaculate Conception becomes for us a point of inspiration and edification and a challenge to live lives of holiness and faith as did our Blessed Mother. Right, right. Um, so did she did she even really need a Savior? Because I know that this is something that sometimes comes up um, if you're maybe talking with a um, someone who's not Catholic, uh, sometimes they'll say, yeah. well, she couldn't have been without sin because then she wouldn't have needed a Savior. So can you explain yeah. that, how, how that would, that she would still need a Savior? Yes. This also is a perennial question, and it's one that has been around for many, many centuries. And it's one that has, I think, really been... Um, you could say, uh, a real challenge to understand. Mm -hmm. The best way, I think, to understand it is that as a human person, which Mary is, completely human as we are, Mary was in need of a Savior, that she also needed the Lord to come and lift her up out of a sinful human condition. Now, it's true that Mary did not have original sin, but the point here is that Mary, as a human person, uh, could have had original sin had it and would have had it not been for God's incredible grace to her. So did Mary need a savior? The answer is yes. But the difference is, is that Mary was saved in a way different than you and I are saved. Mm -hmm. How we explain it is this. And this was something that befuddled many for many, many centuries. Our Blessed Mother was conceived without original sin, which we call the Immaculate Conception, in view of what Jesus would do on Calvary. Right. So we talk about Mary having this incredible gift given to her. Uh, we talk about preventative, mm -hmm. uh, that in other words, Mary was preserved from original sin. She still needed God's grace, but what the Lord did in his majesty was to allow her to experience the preservation from original sin even before Jesus died on the cross. Now, it was a Franciscan priest 
named John Dunn Scotus, who John of Scotland, who mm-hmm. uh, was able to come up with this with this explanation. If let's say for sake of argument that Jesus died around the year 30 or so, mm-hmm. our blessed mother perhaps was 12 or 13 when she conceived Jesus in her virginal womb. Mm-hmm. So that means Our Lady was probably about 45 approximately when Jesus died on the cross. Right. Now, Mary was preserved 45 years earlier than Jesus because, of course, Mary was older than Jesus as his mother. Right. So what happened was is God fashioned it in such a way that Mary was preserved without original sin in view of what Jesus would do 45 or so years later. Mm-hmm. That's, that is the gem and the jewel of the teaching of the Immaculate Conception, that God is not constrained by time as you and I are. Right. And I think, Renee, if we think about this, what we're saying is, yes, Mary needed a Savior. She was saved, as we are, by the death of Christ. It was just that the Lord allowed her to be saved before his son's death, uh, looking toward the eventual death of Christ on the cross so that Mary would be that fitting mother for Christ. Right, right. It's sometimes a little hard for us to wrap our minds around that. Um, But I heard a story recently— it's actually will be in the Bishop's Bulletin, which most people should have by by the time they hear this, um, that basically explains this in a way that, uh, say you're you're walking along and you fall into a pit of mud and uh, someone pulls you out and the mud that's now stained you is sin and, and Jesus then cleans the mud, the sin, off of you. Um, and so Mary's walking along that same path and instead of actually falling in, Jesus saves her from falling into the pit to begin with. So she never has this, the stain of the mud or the sin on her, which I think is a very simple way to kind of really understand that that whole idea. It helped me. I, I've never, <laughs> yes, I've never heard that, but I would say that seems a very, very appropriate to use a little, little something like that to yeah. try to understand. Yeah, yeah. Some of, a lot of this stuff is just really hard to wrap your mind around. So we need some simple, simple stories. <laughs> yes. And I think, Renee, what helps me too is to remember this word preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, she was preserved. So you and I were uh, washed clean by baptism. So original sin came to us at conception. But when we were baptized, original sin was washed clean. So we did have original sin until we were baptized. Right, right. But our Blessed Mother never did because she was preserved before original sin would be on her soul. Right, right. Um, Okay, so when, so we started celebrating uh, the Immaculate Conception as a holy day when? Was that in, was that when it was uh, uh, defined as a dogma or was that done later? Actually, here's the interesting historical thing about this. Um, The feast day, the liturgical celebration and commemoration of Mary's Immaculate Conception actually predates the dogma in 1854. Okay. So the point here is that 
the church believed in the Immaculate Conception and held it and taught it long before Blessed Pius IX defined it in 1854. Right. So there were various feast days over the centuries that commemorated Mary's Immaculate Conception. Okay. Now, when 1854 came, so we were already celebrating the liturgical feast of Mary's Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's kind of interesting that the liturgy predated the dogma. Mm-hmm. And I think that's usually because usually a dogma is defined because there's some question about it. Is, is that right? Yes, <laughs> that's true. That sometimes that uh, the dogma will come to the fore because the church wants to settle something, right? Um, explain it further, and so on. Right. And in the case of the Immaculate Conception, the faithful, the people of God, already believed for many centuries that Mary was conceived without original sin. It was just that the church had not yet, the Pope had not yet defined this as a teaching of the highest authority. Right. But the church believed it. Right. You know, it's it's an interesting point. If, if Pope Francis were to define a dogma of the church, it'd be something the church now already adheres to. Right. He wouldn't invent that. It would be... He would not invent it. That's right. And similarly, the Immaculate Conception, the dogma, was not invented by Blessed Pius IX in 1854. It had long existed, and as far as the actual teaching mm-hmm. and the doctrine had long existed, and the people of God believed the doc- doctrine of the Immaculate Conception before 1854 and actually were attending Mass in commemoration right. of mm-hmm. the Immaculate Conception before 1854. Yeah, sounds like good proof to me. Um, Is there a reason that it's celebrated on December 8th? The reason is that um, it's kind of a, it's part of a long, long and um, involved piece. And I think what I mean by that here is, you know, Renee, just as you and I know that Christmas Day is celebrated the 25th of December, Mm -hmm. Well, our Blessed Mother's Annunciation, when she conceived Jesus nine months earlier, is the 25th of March, mm-hmm. the Annunciation. So when it comes to the Immaculate Conception, our Blessed Mother was conceived without original sin. The Church has assigned the 8th of December. And then nine months later, on September 8th, we have the Feast of Mary's birth, her uh-huh. nativity. Sure. Mm-hmm. So why December 8th? Well, this was a date that was assigned many centuries ago. Um, and I think with a lot of the church's uh, ordering and dating of certain things, um, sometimes it's established and given, and it just continues to flow and and continue afterward. Uh, perhaps sometimes without uh, absolute historical knowledge of why that date was chosen or the reason for that choosing of the date. But oftentimes we're talking about very old Mm -hmm. kinds of testimony as to, you know, why we choose a certain date. Right, right. So uh, we've got about three minutes left. Um, This might be the most important question. 
Uh, how does the Immaculate Conception of Mary help us draw closer to Mary and to Jesus today? The Immaculate Conception helps us open our eyes to the wonders of God. God would not have had to have a mother concede mm-hmm. without original sin. You know, I mean, it was something that he wanted and, and knew that was important and necessary. But certainly there could have been some woman fashioned in a marvelous way who would still have had original sin. I mean, we could imagine that could have happened. But I think what, Renee, what's at work here is we look at the Immaculate Conception and we see how good God is, how good God is to Mary, how good God the Father is to his son Jesus, and how good God is to us to give us the best mother possible, Mm -hmm. a woman without original sin, a woman who is the ever-virgin mother of God, assumed body and soul into heaven. You know, you put that all together, we can only marvel at the incredible gifts that God gives to us and to Mary, who is part of us. Mm -hmm. So I really think the Immaculate Conception leads us to Jesus and Mary by this notion of wonder, you know, the marvels, the wonders of God, which of course are all around us now during Advent, thinking of how God became man by becoming a baby for us. Mm -hmm. The wonders and incredible richness of God. Yep, it's really you're right. It is the I never kind of thought of it that way. The it's just um, a beautiful thing that he did for us, and to have such a a mother to emulate for us yes. is a good thing. Yes. Yep. All right. Um, is there anything else that you think we need to know real quick about the Immaculate Conception, or did we cover eh, a good part of it? <laughs> I think we covered a lot, and I would just say we're all learning. We continue to learn. Uh, We continue, you know, the wonderful texts of uh, great spiritual authors who try to share what this means. I think let's be on the lookout for Mm -hmm. great ways of trying to explain what this is um, and trying to understand it more and more. It's like one of these things that's not a one and done where we can Mm -hmm. say, I know everything about the Immaculate Conception. Right. Right. You know, if you're we're, still learning, we're, we're still learning, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, Renee, and it's the same thing with the Blessed Eucharist. It's the same thing with the Holy Trinity, with the mm-hmm. resurrection, with the, with the mystery of Christmas. Who can say that he or she has all that under control? Right, right, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Monsignor, thank you for being here today. Can you give us a quick blessing before we go? I would be so happy to. Great. Commending you to Mary, the Mother of God, conceived without original sin to thank Joseph and to all the angels and saints and your guardian angels and patron saints. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Great. Thank you so much. Be well. You're welcome. And, you. and Mary, well, well, we'll say Merry Christmas now because I don't know if I'll talk to you before then. I'll try to. <laughs> Have a happy <laughs> <Thank> Advent. <laughs> thank you also. Thank you. All right. All right. Next week, we'll be talking to uh, Emily Leadham and Caitlin Belden from the Catholic Family Catholic Family Services about grief and loneliness during the holidays. So hopefully they can give us some good tips on how to deal with those things. Uh, that is it for us today. I hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic News.